0: Hello everyone and welcome back to Bad Apple. I'm Riley. I'm Helen. And thank you for joining us today. We are covering a very unique case, I would say. Yes. Very Australian. (laughs) You know what they say, everything here wants to kill you. Yeah, true. And one of those things is sharks. Yeah, right. Bit of a bad rep. They do have a bad rep. Oh yeah, I'm all about saving the sharks. Yeah. Yeah, if you want to go in the ocean... You take that risk. <laughs> That's the sharks. That's their shit. Riz would accept death by shark. Look, if I went in, out into the ocean at when the sharks were around, yeah, and they ate me, oh well, Fair I went enough. out there. I went out there. So today's case. What? How, what do I even name it? Shark arm. The case of the shark that coughed up an arm. Yeah. It just coughed up an arm. Oh. It like. Hacked it out. It's like
1: the start of a NCIS episode.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's so true.
1: Can't believe they haven't made it into one yet.
0: NCIS, come get your idea here from Helen. Yeah. So we're taking it to Sydney, 1935, right when the Depression was in full swing. And, little Easter egg for you, just one year after our Pyjama Girl case, where a young girl's body was found badly beaten and burnt near Albury, which we covered in episode 16? I don't know. Something like that. Yeah,
1: we've done it before. Yeah, you could listen to it if you want. Yep. if you want to listen, if you want a chronological timeline, yeah. listen to that
0: one before, That's and true. then come back and listen to this one. Sydney had many renowned beaches to cater to its population of 1.25 million people, including Bondi, Manly, and Coogee Beach. Near Coogee Beach stood the Coogee Aquarium Baths, owned by Charlie and Bert Hobson, who we could say were entrepreneurs. Showmen. They owned the aquarium, and they were keen on catching some sharks. The public at the time were like really into shark viewings. Don't know why. Australians. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe there was a lot of we're looking. I guess at some post World War One migration. Yeah. And maybe a lot of European migrants look coming to want to be like, what's this whole shark thing about? Mm Want to look at a shark maybe. The year before, so 1934, was a big year in terms of shark attacks, amounting to a total of eight attacks, with six of them being fatal. Bert himself was a keen fisherman and owned an ocean trawler, and on Wednesday, the 17th of April, Bert and his nephew caught a 4.4-metre tiger shark off Coogee Beach and brought it back to the aquarium. That's a huge shark. Yeah, that actually is pretty long. That's really big. How long is your car? Oh my god, it's probably like three point something. Shark couldn't record this podcast with us. It wouldn't be able to fit in here. Yeah, (laughs) The process of catching the shark and taking it back to the aquarium took 45 minutes. And by the time the shark got back in the water, it was almost dead. They nearly killed it.
1: Yeah. As you can imagine, this isn't some, like, government-regulated shark-catching, viewing process. They probably just really clumsily, like, you know, pulled it on board, transported it, put it back in the water. We weren't... It wasn't... Well done.
0: We didn't have SeaWorld up in this bitch.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just, this is the Walmart version.
0: Yeah. Gertie, as they called it, was the first shark of more than 20 sharks that the Hobsons caught and put on display in the following years. All of these sharks would die within weeks of being caught. Gertie did not take well to captivity, refusing to eat and swimming repeatedly from one end of the bath to the other. She was kept in a 50 meter pool filled with seawater with an electric pumping system that could empty and refill it in less than an hour.
1: On Anzac Day, the 25th of April, so about a week later, the shark attraction saw a large audience due to the large Anzac Day parade. By the afternoon, though, there were few spectators left. One man was watching the shark for a while when he noticed that the shark suddenly became very active beating the water with its tail and swimming around the pool violently, bumping the sides. At the shallow end of the pool, the shark swam a couple circles before sinking to the bottom of the pool. In the scum that had formed above the shark, the man spotted a human arm with a length of rope wrapped around its wrist. Also in the scum was a rat, a bird, and parts of another shark, including fins. The shark then continued swimming on as usual. Our girl was feeling a bit sick. Yeah, as you can deduce, the shark coughed up this stuff, and it, like, floated to the top. Yeah, she she threw it up. Yeah. She was like, what? Yeah. Oh, that must have been really relieving.
0: Yeah. I bet she felt a lot better. Yeah, that sounds like a
1: good regurgitation. That's yeah. a lot that came up. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I don't blame her. <laughs> Bert got the severed arm to float to the side of the pool using a stick, and his brother Charlie called the local police. Upon inspection, several things were noticed. The arm had a very unique tattoo, which was two boxers in red shorts facing each other, drawn in a blue outline.
0: Like two men boxing. Boxers. Yeah. Boxers. Boxers? What did I say? I mean, we could mean, you could have meant boxes. Like pants? Like boxes, like that, like pants, boxes that you put stuff in, boxes like the dogs. (laughs) Yeah, those were... (laughs) The athletes. The other
1: one, yeah. The, you know, punching and stuff. Yeah. I feel like the other ones would make very
0: strange tattoos. <laughs> if they were in shorts. It's just two pairs of boxer pants. Yeah, but we said it was unique, so
1: it <laughs> wouldn't be. True. <laughs> yeah. To clarify, boxes, like two men. Due to reports from Bert and Charlie and the witnesses, they quickly determined that the shark had indeed regurgitated the arm and that it was not placed there by somebody else. Because the arm did not have any tears or bite marks, the examiner determined that the arm was not bitten off, but it actually had been cut off. They couldn't determine, however, if the person had been dead or alive when the arm came off. This was when the focus of the investigation turned to murder. There were numerous shark teeth marks as well as a long cut above the elbow, and the arm was weirdly preserved because digestion... Fish fact. Digestion can be suspended by a big change in environment, as fish are very sensitive to light. That's crazy. So, yeah, the shark had been in a swimming pool for days. So So it
0: wasn't... That's why she was feeling so sick. Yeah. She couldn't digest anything. Oh, that would have been awful. Yeah. Ooh. She needed a kombucha. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Need some digestion aid.
1: They cut the skin off the fingerprints and made an appeal to anybody who recognized the tattoo because it was quite unique.
0: They cut the skin off his yeah. fingers.
1: Yeah, like they like shaved off the skin that contains the fingerprint. Like that area. Why? I don't I don't know why. I don't know what the, maybe it was different procedures in nineteen Mm-hmm. They couldn't just press it against a like I mean, why couldn't they? Yeah. Maybe it was like, you know, stomach juices and had been maybe it was just not like
0: something you could ink and press. Yeah, maybe anymore. Who knows? Anyway, they shaved his fingerprints off
1: yeah so it didn't take long before somebody recognized the tattoo and a man named edward smith came into the police station and said quote, it is undoubtedly my brother's arm
0: okay edward he's confident yeah it's true so who was this brother of edward smith well his name is jim and jim smith is a bit of a character he was born on the 30th of april 1891 in Camberwell in the UK and was the eldest of four children. He immigrated to Australia at the age of 18 in hopes of a better life. He was described as tall, well-built, good with his fists and happy-go-lucky. His 15-year-old brother Edward joined him a year later in Sydney and in July 1916 he married a woman named Gladys and they had a son a year later, Raymond. Having made some money moves since coming to Australia, he moves his family there as well to join him. Like his extended family, like his mum and stuff. Couldn't get exactly who was invited. Okay. But he was the only one, him and his
1: brother were the only ones there. So I assume family. Nice. Parents.
0: I love that. Yeah. Here are just some points that you would find on this man's resume. Jim was a builder, the proprietor of the Roselle Sports Club, which was a billiard parlor, and he was a keen boxer. Billiard is pool. Billiard, Yeah. Same thing. Things I learned this week. Mm. It's just a fancy word for it. Right. I play billiards. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. He was also a small-time criminal. He was involved in illegal gambling and ran an illegal starting price betting business on the side of his billiard parlor. That's very 1930s energy. Yeah, I don't even know what that means. Like, you bet. You love to bet, Riz. Yeah, I
1: have a punt every now and again. This just sounds like, um all right, then what's an illegal starting price? Uh, not like what number, but what does it mean?
0: Like I think I don't think it was an illegal starting price. I think the illegal part was the betting business. Oh. Yeah. Was what I think the starting price is just oh. like when the horse starts. What is the price?
1: Uh, okay. So betting wasn't allowed? I'm not sure. Oh, I thought the... Maybe,
0: maybe it was also allowed and he was just also doing it underground. Okay. Okay. Maybe he just didn't have a license. Yeah. Yeah. But there's more to that. Jim had started working as a builder in the early 30s for a man named Reginald Holmes. Holmes had many titles. In the community, he was a respected member of society, a family man, and was involved in construction. Reginald Holmes's most profitable operations, however, were also of a more illegal kind. See, Reginald Holmes was part of a long line of boat builders and operated a business in Lavender Bay building speedboats. And he used his speedboats to coordinate cocaine and other drug drops from passing ships at Sydney Heads. He also dabbled in insurance scams, one of which included the over-insuring and the scuttling of a cruiser named the Pathfinder. We know all about scuttling.
1: We know what that means now. But if you don't,
0: it's deliberate sinking. Jim was in on a lot of these off-the-book jobs. He often took the speedboats out for the drops and was the caretaker of the Pathfinder.
1: Three weeks prior to the shark arm incident, Jim had gone on a fishing trip and hadn't returned. Gladys Smith, his wife, thought it was fine though because he would always go away for long periods of time.
0: Gladys, Jim is sus, girl. Jim is sus.
1: Yeah, we know he's sus now.
0: He, he's up to something.
1: They managed to get fingerprints off the thumb and ring finger from the skin they took. And luckily, Jim Smith had already been fingerprinted before for illegal betting. They compared the fingerprints and were very certain that they belonged to Jim. His police file also mentioned the tattoo. Nice. Case closed, baby. (laughs) This was also in case you've forgotten the 30. So they could only really say like, it's probably his.
0: That's true. Yeah. We didn't have digital fingerprint recognition. A few days
1: later, on the 28th of April, Gertie, the shark, dies. No, Gertie. Rest in peace. Man, she was
0: only in the aquarium for 11 days. Justice for Gertie. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Not a great ending for
0: her. Mm -mm.
1: Well, I actually think it, I um, didn't really say what gender the shark was, so I'll stop calling her, her. Yeah. I mean, Gertie. Gertie. I think they just, I don't know how you tell a shark gender apart.
0: Me neither, actually.
1: Yeah. Anyway, the next day, the shark is dissected and they find no more human flesh, bones or clothing. As you can imagine, the newspapers were all over this story. And it was a bit of a media sensation because, you know, shark coughs up an arm. Of Mm -hmm. course it would be. Which put extra pressure on the investigation team. Once again, I want to be like, oh my god, media, shut up and go away. But they did publish the image of the arm like one of the newspapers, which led to the identification, so double-edged sword, I guess.
0: Yeah, they are helpful to a extent. That's true. Then they're just annoying. Yeah.
1: So what happened that fateful night that led to a shark coughing up a human arm? Police investigations traced Jim back to the last time he had been seen, which was at drinks in the Cecil Hotel at Cronulla. He was with a longtime friend and associate, Patrick Brady, he was also known to the law as an expert forger. Brady, Holmes, and Jim worked together and kind of made a perfect crime trio in that way. Think Holmes as the brains, Jim as the muscle, and Brady as the skill. Honestly,
0: mm-hmm. a bit of a dream team. It is a little bit, isn't it? Everything you want. It's like it's like um, Harry Potter and Ron and Hermione. Oh my god, true! Except what does Harry Potter even bring to the team? <laughs> Sorry that's Wait, what does Ron bring to rant. the team? I'm um, comedic relief. <laughs> Harry's just <laughs> Right, right, right. Harry's just a sourpuss with no skills. Sorry.
1: I reckon Ron is like the um muscle. So um if we're going to liken it to the Harry Potter
0: trio. You reckon Oh yeah, Hermione's the brain. You're saying Harry is the muscle? Well, he's a bit reckless. I'm saying he's the muscle because he is the one that actually does everything.
1: Yeah. He's like
0: the you know how if you're like you come up with a good plan, but you don't want to do it yourself. So I you send the it. dumb the dumb guy.
1: Right. But Ron has no skill. Yeah, he does. People skills. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Anyway, we digress. <laughs> later that same night, following the drinking, they went to a cottage that Brady had rented on the shore of Gunnamara Bay. Brady left the cottage later that night and took a taxi directly to 3 Bayview Street, McMahon's Point, which was the home of Reginald Holmes. No, it's a tongue twister. Bars. The taxi driver that took him there identified Brady and named the two exact addresses above. He described Brady as disheveled and obviously hiding something underneath his jacket. The driver said, quote, it was clear that he was frightened. The landlord of the cottage also spoke with detectives, saying that the cottage was inspected after the tenants had left. Around the same time, the Hobson brothers caught the shark. He noted it was, quote, scrupulously clean... And that a rug was missing and a trunk and a mattress had been replaced. A seven-pound anchor, so it's like three kilos, and Kellick rope was missing from his rowboat as well that was stored
0: at the house. You know what would be interesting? It would be interesting to know, and maybe they just didn't think about it, if the Kellick rope that was missing was the same yeah, rope that was arm. found around the arm. That would be a little bit, that would be some damning evidence. Mm. That's my question for the team.
1: yeah. Those two pieces of information never seem to cross again. Yeah. In the reading I did, maybe we need to like super sleuth it.
0: Yeah. Get in there.
1: <laughs> I don't know. Do it ourselves. Go into the archives, but <laughs> yeah. I don't know anything about ropes. What's Kellogg rope anyway?
0: I have no idea. Maybe it's
1: a really common type of rope.
0: Maybe. So maybe it wouldn't even be that.
1: Yeah. Maybe we could liken it to like printer paper.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. With this evidence, three weeks after the Shark Arm incident, Patrick Brady was arrested and charged with murder. However, the problem was that without a body, there was no firm evidence and no proof that a murder had taken place. Brady denied the charge. The same day, police also questioned Holmes at his boat shed in Lavender Bay. They brought up the rumours that Holmes was using his boat-building business for drug smuggling and that perhaps Holmes and Jim had a fallout and Jim was blackmailing him, using his high-standing reputation in the community against him. Holmes denied these accusations and that he had ever met Brady at all police arrested him anyway on May the 16th. The case seemed to remain pretty stationary until four days later, when police were called after complaints of a speedboat speeding out recklessly into the harbour. Holmes had left his boat shed in this speedboat, with a pistol to attempt suicide. However, when he pulled the trigger, the bullet hit the bone in his forehead, flattened, and did not kill him. He was knocked into the water and was only saved from drowning by a rope that got caught around his wrists as he fell. He crawled back onto the boat, and what ensued was a four-hour water police chase through Circular Quay, past ferries, through Sydney Harbour, until finally, Holmes gave up just outside Sydney Heads. That is insane. That's wild. This man has nine lives. Yeah! Doesn't... The bullet flattens against his skull. Man, he's got a thick skull. Then, yeah, then he falls into the water but doesn't drown because somehow some rope has tangled around his wrists. Yeah. That is insane. And then he has the energy to climb back into the boat. Yeah. And then go for four hours. Crazy. That is crazy. At first, he tried to say that this whole suicide attempt and boat chase was because he'd been attacked and shot in his home, fled in the speedboat, and mistook the police for the people after him. Which, that sounds made up, buddy. Later, Holmes recounts the story of the night Jim went missing. He told detectives that Brady had come to his house late one night with Jim's severed arm. Apparently, Brady threatened to blackmail Holmes if he didn't pay him $600. He said that he had killed Jim and dismembered his body, placing the parts in a trunk, which was tossed into Gunnamatta Bay. This was often referred to as a Sydney send-off in crime circles then, as the vast expanse of the ocean and many access points lent itself well to the disposal of a body. Holmes handed over the money and Brady left, leaving the severed arm in the living room. In a panic, Holmes drove to Maroubra and tossed the arm into the ocean.
1: After this explanation, Holmes agreed to be a witness at the inquest into Jim Smith's death. This was to go forward on June 12th, but at 1.20am of the morning of the inquest, Holmes was found in the docks area of Dawes Point, slumped over the wheel of his car, and he was dead, with three bullet holes in his chest. It was speculated that he had ordered a hit against himself, however, it was also argued that Brady or even other business associates could have ordered the murder. The crime scene and previous events point towards suicide, although three bullets in the chest, could you do that?
0: Yeah, no. Okay. Maybe. Nah. If you didn't die straight away. Right. I guess maybe if you committed to three before. And you were like, boom, boom, boom. Could you? But I don't know. Yeah, I would have had to move it. Hmm.
1: But the timing and impending testimony could suggest a murder to keep him quiet. He had in fact taken out a hefty life insurance policy for his own life, which wouldn't have been applicable under suicide. So was this... Also, like a final shot at another insurance fraud by him. Either way, without Holmes to be a witness, the case against Brady fell apart, with the trial lasting less than two days. His attorney submitted a motion to dismiss the charges due to a lack of evidence, that an arm was not a body, and without a body, homicide wasn't really on the table, and the judge agreed, directing that a verdict of not guilty should be reached. By the way, it also didn't look great. That Brady was five foot four.
0: Right. Little was, mousy boy. He,
1: I didn't want to say it, but he was very short. Yeah. And compared to Jim, who's like this keen boxer, yeah, tall, he's tall, built. Uh, no. Stop it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just didn't look like, I guess, feasible. But you,
0: you anyone know. can shoot someone.
1: Exactly. And cut their arm off. Yeah. So, But yeah, he didn't present as this, like...
0: Murderer. Yeah. Yeah.
1: He also didn't have any assault charges. He had no history of violence, only forgery charges.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. He was clean.
1: Yeah. So Brady was acquitted and walked free.
0: Smooth criminal. Smooth getaway, baby.
1: Until his death in 1965, Brady denied that he had anything to do with it and nobody was ever charged, and Jim's body was never found. Later... It was found that Jim had been a secret police informant. What?
0: I did not see that coming. Just when
1: you think that all stops rolling, it keeps going. This
0: has had so many little surprises,
1: this case. A secret police informant was also referred to uh, at the time as a Fizzer or Mm gig. A gig. (laughs) (laughs) Not that I know why. I just Googled it and I can't find out why. Please tell us. But I'm also happy to
0: accept no reason. I think that's the case for a lot of slang here. Yeah. Just, yeah. We just make shit up. Yeah,
1: Holmes had also said that Brady told him that he killed Jim because he thought he was cooperating with police against him. His reputation as a potential police informant has produced a lot of other theories that someone Jim had snitched on had murdered him in retaliation. One name that comes up often is Eddie Wayman. It's said that information given to police by Jim directly led to Eddie and one of his colleagues being caught red-handed during a bank robbery. Wayman was known as one of the most dangerous criminals in 1930s Sydney, a time where violence was commonplace and gangsters only had one rule, which was to never squeal to the cops. If Wayman and his associates had found out that Jim had snitched, it provides a potential explanation for his murder and the possible hit on Jim's associate, Reginald Holmes. Brady, who was a World War I veteran, died in Concord Hospital in 1965, and whether he did it or not, died with him. Mm-hmm. So I guess the secret police informant thing explains maybe some of his movements in the underworld of drug smuggling and insurance scams, but this like alternate uh, suspect thing, I just think it could be anyone he snitched on.
0: Yeah, I Anybody. agree. Anybody. Yeah, and there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of crims back then, you know? Yeah. Could have been any of them.
1: Yeah. They've just picked the most, like, renowned one, I guess.
0: Yeah. But in the underworld, who knows? Someone might have owed Eddie a favor.
1: Mm, you yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. Some John Wick. <laughs> I have a marker. Yeah, that stuff. That stuff. Or, like, maybe, maybe it just was Brady.
1: The thing is... hmm I could easily equally believe it wasn't that, like, but somehow Brady ended up with the
0: arm. Yeah, I see that as well.
1: Yeah, because all these people just sound shady, like that, they're, they're yeah. trying to, like, cover their tracks and not, um, you know, burn any bridges, and they're all acting very carefully to keep their standing mm. in a good place in the criminal underworld. So although Brady looks sus, super sus, Someone else could have been in on it. Yeah, he could have just ended up with the arm. And Bernie just didn't want to say
0: anything. Yeah, he
1: doesn't want to say anything in case someone else get him. He doesn't
0: want to snitch, never squeal. He doesn't want to squeal to the pigs. Tiring lifestyle. Yeah, exhausting.
1: Yeah, wow. Always gosh. watching
0: where you're going, yeah. who you're talking to. Oh. Uh, God, couldn't imagine. Sounds like
1: an awful workplace dynamic. Yeah, if toxic you ask me. work culture. Honestly. <laughs> yeah. Would, yeah.
0: Where was HR when we needed them here? I don't know.
1: Would this. Like in trial or court, yeah, be different now without a body.
0: Yeah, you can, you can, um, you maybe could back then as well, but like you can definitely convict someone of murder without a body, right? Right. If you have a good enough like theory and and enough proof as mm. to like what like what happened to it, then do you know what I mean? Yeah. If there's no body, you could be like, well, it got chucked in the ocean and right. it's gone now. Right. So that's why we don't have one. Yeah. But if it's just unknown. Like, you're like, oh, there's nobody, and we don't really know why there isn't one. You probably don't have a very good shot. Right. Yeah.
1: And this was a lot of just, like, he said, she said. Yeah, yeah. Here, and no witness. And Holmes is dead now. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah Holmes, our big witness. So. Yeah, it was gone. Damn. Yeah. And they got away with it.
0: Well, if it was him, he did get away with it. Yeah, well, they, like, whoever did it. And mm. Brady lived for another 35 years. Crazy. Just chilling. You know, the real victims here... The shark and Jim Smith. Yeah, let's not forget about the shark. Goatee? I'm all for shark welfare. They're very, very important for the ecosystem. Ecosystem. Even I know that. Yeah. Yeah. They are the trash bins of the sea. Mm. Not for our trash, though. We shouldn't pollute the oceans.
1: Yeah, but unfortunately, it seems like after this, nothing changed because they kept. Because she was like the first shark they.
0: And they displayed many. They killed her and they were like, oh, let's just try again.
1: It didn't awaken anyone to anything, but it was the Great Depression. And I guess anyone was scrambling to make a bit of money and make their business
0: float back up. You're right. Mm. You're right. Yeah, we've learned a lot. About shark rights. About shark rights. Yeah. And keeping animals in captivity Mm. in general. Mm. Which, you know, this is a rant, but I think... Captivity and zoos and aquariums do serve a very important role in terms of education, rehabilitation, rehabilitation conservation. Yeah. They have an a important job. Yeah. But also we don't stand animal abuse. It's a fine line. We are walking a very fine line. Yes, I just don't go to the zoo very often at all. I've been once and it's because I had to for an assignment. Yeah. Yeah, I've been once, twice maybe. My favourite bit was the seals. Because this seal just kept like swimming at the yeah. at the glass. And around and
1: around as if it's bored.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was funny to watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought it was playing with me, you know. Like the... We were vibing me and the seal.
1: I... <laughs> I like the butterfly enclosure.
0: That's... Oh. When I went to the zoo, yeah. there was all these kids there. Must have been school holidays ah. or something. And I watched this kid and no. a butterfly landed on its hand. Yeah. And it just went... No! It just smacked it together and killed it and I watched it like open its hands up and realised that it obviously didn't realise that it was going to kill it and it like opened up its hands and realised it was dead and it was like and just like shook it off and
1: and ran off that was probably a formative moment you just noticed probably it was faced with the concept of death
0: in 20 years it's gonna be be at therapy and be like I killed this time I I killed a butterfly and this woman saw me and she looked at me with such disdain (laughs) dead Oh, it's starting to rain again. Great timing. I don't have much more to say about this. Me neither. I just think this was really, this was fun. Yeah. When you were doing the, because you did all the research for this one and wrote it, so I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Yeah, I also didn't chat
1: much about it either. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. just.
0: <laughs> you didn't share much during the week. So then when I when we go, met up today to um, review it before <laughs> we record it, I was like. Screaming. Whoa. <laughs> every paragraph had a zinger in it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Next thing you know, yeah, the shark coughs up an arm. Next thing you know, the shark's dead. The guy tries to commit suicide. Doesn't work. Yeah. Boat chase. The other guy's dead. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. It's a fun one. Yeah.
1: I'd like to see it as an indie film. And we are a bit, we are removed enough. It's been like a hundred years. Almost, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, well, they could make this a film for sure. Yeah. Who would you? uh... (laughs) Here we go. I would cast Tom Holland as Brady.
1: Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. And Army
0: Hammer as Holmes.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I feel like Holmes is a little bit older though.
0: Yeah, but like we'd just make him look a bit older.
1: Okay, Army Hammer.
0: Only because he's huge, and Holmes seems like a big guy. <laughs> yeah. That builds boats, you know.
1: Jim Smith. Who are, who would I cast as a petty criminal, police informant, boxer,
0: boxer guy? Well, wow, that's a lot. Yeah. He's got be kind of Jack. Maybe
1: like, um, the fuck is his name?
0: What's he in?
1: Dunkirk, the pilot.
0: Oh, Tom Tom Hardy. Hardy.
1: Yeah, Tom Hardy. Yeah. I see it. There we go. There's that trio. Nice. Oh, um, and I would cast, um, I'd cast Hugh Jackman as one of the Hobson brothers. (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) I don't know why, but I can see him, like, doing it, taking the ocean trawler (laughs) out and catching a shark. (laughs) Huge, like, Jackman energy, yeah. <laughs> just oh, I'm probably correlating with Greatest Showman stuff now. Yeah, that too. Yeah, that's what's happening. Yeah, an
0: Australian man, Greatest Showman, and also just like rugged man. Oh, why don't we catch just a why
1: don't we just cast two of the Hemsworth brothers? <gasps> yeah. Oh, I just looked past our the best um, duo yeah. that we have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, rip Luke.
0: Yeah. All right, Warner Brothers, when you want to come for this idea, you let us know. <laughs> yeah, honey. contact us. We're taking offers.
1: Yeah. Well. Yeah. That's all we have for you today.
0: Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Be nice to sharks.
0: Yeah. Be nice to each other and enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah. See you next week. Bye. Bye.